I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. In this episode of the podcast, J.J. Katea from Good Luck, and you've seen his menus all over the place in Rochester if you're into wine and food, um, and also Brian Arliss from Rohrbach came over to talk about their new concept called Nebbia, N-E-B-B-I-A. Really cool concept. Uh, you'll hear all about it in the episode. Uh, but we're talking about really conscientious wine and food pairings, but in a way that's going to make it an amazing experience for everybody involved. Really enjoyed talking with the guys. We tasted through some of their ideas, some of the dishes they're working on. And you'll have to pay attention around Rochester and see when they pop up sometime soon. But great conversation with the guys. Uh, this will be the first part of the episode. So we're going to do a second part because we just went really long and had a great time talking. So hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you do, let JJ and Brian know. Um, you can follow them on Instagram and find them or comment on my Instagram at Strummy or now Food About Town Podcast on Instagram. JJ shamed me because I didn't have an account for my own podcast. So now you can find us at Food About Town Podcast on Instagram and follow us there because we're going to be trying to push that a bit more as we move forward. Um, also, take a look at all the other Lunchador podcasts. Uh, you can follow Lunchador Podcast on Instagram as well. And if you're looking for a meal, we've got a great meal coming up on, I believe, April 20th with Curate uh, with a really cool restaurant. So Hopefully you can buy a meal for April 20th and join us for Curate Meals Pickup at the German House with my friend Chris Grocky. And otherwise, enjoy this episode. And I've got a few more uh, recorded in the background as well. Uh, it's been a you know long winter and starting to record and release episodes again. So hopefully you enjoy and come back next time for the Food About Town podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. And I'm here with whole bunch of food and wine, which is super exciting. Guess, why don't you introduce yourselves? I'm Chef Brian Arliss. I'm JJ Kataya, uh, the sommelier here. Oh, the you're you're the sommelier in my house. <laughs> the sommelier of your house, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. so when, when I need something, JJ pops up and like, oh, what do I need for this food? Oh, you need some racy acidity. You need some body to complement that food. Doing what I can. Every time. So, <laughs> and uh, Brian, uh, where do people... Uh, where do people find you in Rochester? Uh, currently, you can find me at Rohrbox on Railroad Street. Okay. So that uh, that restaurant there has been open for what, how long now? It's been it's been a while, but I yeah, remember the, when it was starting. The Railroad Street location has been about eight, nine years now. Okay. So, yeah. Still, uh, still growing. Still growing. Still growing and has kind of become a staple of the neighborhood when yes. it comes to not just the beer. I remember when it first opened, it was really just beer, but now the... The food has kind of come into its own as well and kind of a, you know, general friendly menu for everybody to enjoy. Yeah, that's kind of the whole idea. Uh, a very good friend of my chef, Steve Frank, was actually one of the executive chefs there a couple of years ago. So he helped really get that culinary program up and running. And ever since then, I had always wished I could be in that building cooking just because it has such an amazing atmosphere such an amazing wood-fired oven, and I just really like the potential that place has. Yeah, offers a lot of flexibility when you have a wood-fired oven, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, it's absolutely incredible in there. I mean, just the it's you know, pizzas is a start, but when you have that uh, when you have that spark of creativity, the having that wood-fired oven to get that wisp of smoke in anything you throw in there is just like hard to hard to resist. I'm yeah, sure the, the pizza's the easy part, so it's. <laughs> 
It's everything else. Don't tell that to all the pizzolos in town. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not taking anything away from them. <laughs> but it is, uh, yeah, pizza's, pizza's fun. You, you get your recipe down. Yeah. And as long as the environment's not too hot or too cold, nope. everything kind of works itself out. <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the beauty of kind of taking over that location is, you know, just really getting my recipes in there. I'm making pizza dough every single day from scratch. Oh, nice. Uh, it's got about a 36-hour ferment to it. So it's really, oh, man really after, great stuff. Man after my own heart. <laughs> it, there's very few things I hate more than a crust that one isn't seasoned. Um, if you don't salt your pizza dough, I'm not sure why you're doing it. Oh, it, it really, it, it really bothers me because, like, why aren't you making your dough taste better? Like, yeah. it's just, it's just a lost opportunity. And why aren't you making it in house? Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, this is the Flower City for a reason. Am I wrong? <laughs> true, true. Put some, put some edible flowers on there. Put yeah. some, put some uh, wheat flour in there. It's delicious. There's a lot of things you can do. <laughs> so, gentlemen, why are we here today? So we have an idea called Nebia. Okay. Um, How do we spell this interesting sounding word? <laughs> N-E-B-B-I-A. Okay. So uh, Nebbia, La Nebbia means the fog in Italian. Um, Brian and I, <clears throat> we've been friends for a very, very long time. Um, God, how long have we been friends now? For uh, like I want to say just after high school, 18 years so now? 2005, 2006. Oh, wow. So yeah. we've been, yeah, we've been buddies for a really long I know time. that's dating ourselves, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just out in Boston seeing my friend who I went to, went to college with for mechanical engineering and like definitely my oldest continual running friend for that long. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> John Timmerman and I go back to when we were three. <laughs> oh, Still my best. Wow. Oh, that's wild. That's wild. It's a true friend. Um, but Brian's always been back of house. I've always been front of house. Like in college, I was like, oh, okay, let me start working in restaurants to make ends meet. Um, and then I kind of like fell in love with them. Anyways, Brian and I always have had this idea. We're going to work together. We're going to do something. We're going to have our own spot. What it was going to be exactly in the concept, we never really were figuring out. But we were always like, it's going to be us. We're going to do it. Um, we worked together for a little bit. Um, the uh, tavern days. Yeah. So Tavern 58 over on Gibbs and University. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never actually made it in there, but I know it was kind of it was kind of a little hot spot in of itself. Yeah, it especially was, uh, that Jazz Fest time, you know. Oh, Jazz Fest. <laughs> oh, God, I have to imagine. Jazz Ten Fest. straight days. Oh. Um, so th- Every restaurant I knew that was in that area, yep. like, uh, when, uh, like when Paul Vroman was running Aunt Rosie's, yep. mm-hmm. right over there, I mean, that place was just mauled for that entire time, and it was yeah. like... Every day was special events, special events, special events. Yeah, we had we had live music every day. We had you know people eating in the parking lots. It was oh, it was great. It was absolutely great. Yeah, whole different kind of vibrancy downtown, bringing people downtown that don't go downtown very much. Exactly, it's what and, we got to do. Well, and I think it's also you know the reason I hope it does come back. It's not my thing. I don't like being down where that many people are there, but at the same time, I think it exposes people that don't go into the city very much into what's cool and what's happening in the city. Yeah, you're going to get a completely def- different demographic when you're bringing in, you know, a lot of those um, different people from the suburbs coming yeah. in. Maybe they're checking out a show or there's, you know, just something happening downtown. It brings them down there. It introduces them to, you know, maybe a couple of new restaurants they haven't seen before or maybe they're going to meet some people they've never met before. It's just, it, I think it's great for everybody. It's a national and international draw as well. The yeah. Jazz Fest is just so huge. Absolutely. Um, people from everywhere. Like, it's so fun meeting all these new people. Like, hey, I've never seen you before. And then to be able to, like at Bronco Midtown, they're right in the heart of it, right over there too. And 
it would just be so fun talking to people and then being able to suggest like, oh, you're here. How long are you here for? You need to check this spot, this spot, and this spot and just like run with it. So no, it's huge. So we opened up uh, Tavernette Clover together, um, which was a restaurant at the old Crystal Barn. Um, and that's where we first time we worked together. Um, I didn't last that long there. I decided <laughs> that managing <laughs> wasn't for me, you know, the whole 80 hours and not really making a lot of money was kind of, uh, not for me anymore. I miss serving. I needed to get back into it. Um, but that was kind of like our introduction of like, all right, this is what we're doing. Um, Brian likes to come over all the time and we like to do what we call our snack tours. Um, we start off at my house since I'm, Located right over by like Easton, uh, Easton University in between there. Okay. Goodman, right yeah, yeah. Nice. Goodman. Yeah. Nice, nice area. And a little bit quieter on that side of things. Literally a block from where I work at good luck. So Which is it works nice. out perfect. <laughs> no miles on my car. It's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> um, but we just always are inspired. Like we love to go out and have a drink and a snack and just walk around as much of the city and, you know, Uber here and there when we have to like bounce around in different spots, but try to go and see as many people say hi, try a bunch of different little bites of food and drinks. So we were kind of inspired um, by that to create Nebbia, which I make up the names. Brian is just like, <laughs> can I cook? Great. Awesome. Yeah. I don't care what you call it. <laughs> He's just like, great. I'm cooking. It's going to be delicious. And he knows that I'm never going to be like, hey, you should do that. Well, we have our, we'll talk about how we try and create, but um, our whole idea behind Nebbia is wine with food, but um when everybody eats food, right? Everybody, it's undeniable fact. You eat food. Um, most people drink wine. But all of a sudden, when you put the two together, it's this big barrier of, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Or, oh, what is it supposed to be like? It gets a little bit pretentious, you know? It gets a little little uppity. And for a few reasons, it's tough. Like, it's tough for people to be able to pair certain things. Some things don't go well together. People don't know if they're doing it right. Um, And then also it's expensive. Um, If we're going to do a wine dinner or wine pairing, chances are tickets are about 100 to 150 bucks. If you're a couple, it's about 300 bucks. I mean, I know this crowd here, we are the have a cocktail before and probably after. Um, you know, and all of a sudden you buy somebody else a drink, you're looking at 350 to 400 bucks in one night. Like some people can swing that good for you. Um, it's not something that a lot of people can swing all the time. So we want to bring really cool flavor combinations in small bite form with around three to four ounces of wine at a time. And just kind of like, Hey, try the wine, then try the food. And then try the wine again and like watch how it opens up. Um, well, I think that's that's also a really interesting point. Um, when it comes to wine tasting, the biggest thing that people get scared of, one, it's all the terminology, right? It's, it's thick. It's dense. If you don't know what's going on, if you don't know even the basics, there's a lot. It's a lot of words and a lot of foreign words, you know, non-English words on the menu. Um, so challenging. But I think the idea of doing smaller pours, that's how... That's how I enjoy wine. I think that's like when we're tasting wine, you're not tasting big pours. You're not tasting eight ounce pours. You're not tasting big pours of wine. We're tasting small amounts. I mean, the amount we have in the glass right now, I love tasting this much. I love savoring a whole glass, but this is like this amount of wine, you know, just, just a little bit is how I actually like tasting. Cause I want to taste six things. I want to taste eight things. I want to taste all of them. 
And you can't drink that much and be functional, especially if you're going to be a nerd and taste through things. Yeah, because your palate, like, once you start drinking too much, your palate falls apart. Um, what we have in the glass here, which the first time, um, <laughs> this is the first time I let this wine sit in the glass long enough where you could actually see the effervescence kind of uh, mm-hmm. popping up just a little bit. That's usually a sign of a young wine or a very high acid wine. Um, or there could just be, you know, some air trapped in your glass. But uh, we have Ampelone. Etna Bianco. So we're in Sicily. We're on Mount Etna, um, literally an active volcano. Which uh, kind of uh, became a uh, wine professional's handshake wine area, the Etna region, over the last few years. It's um, it's something, as soon as I started getting into wine, I was just like, oh, there's a bunch of good wine from Sicily. My family's Sicilian. So I immediately was just like, anything I can try from there. Like, I'm totally into. Um, seven years ago, we were pouring, or maybe... No, 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 that's too long. Maybe five years ago when I was at Bronca Midtown. Sounds about right when um, it started to pop on. Yeah, yeah, I was doing the wine list there, and um, there's Norello Mescalese, the main red grape, but also Norello Cappuccio, and it was just so fun to, like, throw these wines out there. So we have Ampelone Etna Bianco, uh, Mount Etna, and this is 100% Caracante. I believe it sees a small amount of new oak, nothing overwhelming. You don't really get much on there. It's just to round out the texture just a little bit. Um, so what we like to do is we get familiar with the wine, right? We take a little taste, kind of get like, where's it at, seeing where it's going. And then we're going to try the beef tartare that Chef Arliss has beautifully crafted. And do you want to talk about the food? And then we'll talk about what we're getting on the wine before and then what we're getting on the wine after we eat. Yeah, yeah definitely. Wonderful. So kind of like what JJ was saying before, um, we're pairing very specific bites. So it's one thing to just have a beef tartare and okay, it's great. Get a good quality meat, mince it up. You're good to go. Get your flavorings. But we are trying to. But chef, isn't it, isn't it unsafe to be eating raw meat? Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so Not if you put raw, a raw meat, egg yolk on yeah, top raw meat with a nice it, raw neutralizes yolk. each other out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It plays very nicely together. No, but. Uh, we we kind of discover these things while we just we're talking. All we do is talk and drink and eat. That's what we love to do. And going through this, we kind of discover certain things. Oh, this works nicely. What if this worked? Or maybe we go with this direction. So we tasted, I don't know, probably 50, 60 wines so far, and we just record everything. So um, what you can't see at home is I'm showing Chris our uh, on my phone. Our working document. We have uh, over 13 pages. I think we're up to 15 pages yeah, now. Yeah, somewhere around there. Um, every Monday, I drive down to uh, Chef's house, hang out, help his son with math homework. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. up west. And um, we log different pairings. I'll bring over some bottles. He'll cook some things. And at first, it was very much, we're rolling the dice, and we're going to see what flavors go together and what flavors don't. And we start documenting them. And then after we had enough pages, we were like, great, now we're noticing patterns. Let's get theories. And then there was, uh, I think the most fun we had was with a very round (laughs) texture, textural thing. I'm going to say oily just to be simple about it. Um, It doesn't sound very good. I wouldn't like, I'm not trying to say an oily wine table side, but for simplicity, like, you know, a lot of Coteron Blancs, uh, Garnacha Blanca in Spain, these are kind of like rounder body wines. And we wanted to break up the 
that kind of round mouth texture. And so we just been experimenting. So this right here, um, the Ampelone Etna Bianco, I love this wine. One of them on the list at Good Luck, um, which I know we talked, Brian works over at Warbox. I'm a server and some way over at Good Luck. Um, and then we just kind of found a bunch of different flavors with this white. And surprisingly, it all kind of comes together. So let's talk about the wine real quick. Yeah, and really, really interesting. So I'll, I'll give my notes because I know please. you've tasted this a lot of times. So I always find it interesting to get different tasting because you can push people in directions with tasting notes. Mm-hmm. One, if you see them, it does help. It helps you helps you acclimate your brain to what you're tasting sometimes. Like, hey, what are you what are you tasting? Where are you gonna taste it? Um, interestingly, like I get some almost Belgian uh, Belgian like wit on the nose. I actually get some of that uh, chapsticky like Belgian yeast on the nose. Which I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just something I'm like my nose is very sensitive to, but I can smell that in the top, and it's there's a body to it. the The oak's present, but it's certainly not dominant, like you mentioned. Um, you know, nice medium plus acidity, really, really nice. Um, say like 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 some peaches under like almost underripe a little bit. They're not super sweet or super like ripe flavors. As far as I'm not like underripe, but I'd say like just maybe ripe. No, I think that's um, great. And I'm, I love that you're talking about the yeast and everything. It does see uh, Lee's contact. I feel like the roundness that is coming sense. more from the Lee's contact than it is from, I think it's neutral oak. I probably should have looked this up before. Explain, came explain, <laughs> explain the concept of Lee's contact for the people. Okay. So Lee's are spent yeast cells. So your yeast cells are doing your fermentation. And as the wine is fermenting, they call what is uh, sitting on the Lee's which is your um, yeast cells and they break down and it kind of gives this like almost like biscuity kind of um, smell and flavor. It adds a bunch of complexity. Just think about like the microbiology of a yeast cell. So you end up getting all these things in like these kind of doughy, bready, savory like notes that just kind of go through. So the kind of almost like stale beer and peanuts is kind of like, um, it's two terms that we use in blind tastings and whatnot to describe yeast cells. You are like, oh, okay, there's Lee's aging. And then there's surly aging, which just means they really want to kick it up and they love those flavors. Kind of brings down, like, it just helps fatten up a wine. So they'll mix the yeast cells and, like, kick them up a little bit, let them mix into the rest of the wine. So See, that makes sense because now, now that I've made that association with the flavor that I was smelling... Now that's going to be one of my new one of my new things I'm going to try to be able to pick out really clearly, because now that you mention it, yeah, it's the the rest of the biscuity body that's really present through the whole thing. It's almost the dominant note. The other stuff's almost secondary. It's playing off of that. Um, but yeah, now that's that's really interesting because that's for me the first thing I smelled was the Belgian the Belgian wit kind of chapstick nose. But now that I've associated with the other part, now I can. Now I can work through it differently. So kind of playing off all of that, uh, see, this is where we get weird, and this is kind of where our mind starts going. You get that unctuous, velvety texture going over your tongue. Therefore, we think that would go with beef. You don't necessarily need all the fat, so you have the flavor and texture of beef, so you have your tartare. You have the unctuousness of the egg kind of melting over everything. And then we take it a step further, and... Uh, the soy tamari Worcestershire, or I'm sorry, not tamari, um, ume vinegar. 
all kind of play along with those yeasty notes. They're all kind of fermented style uh, condiments, and they're all kind of coming together uh, playing in the background of the wine. So Ume Vinegar, describe what you get from <laughs> that and how that's how that comes about. So to me, we're getting a little bit of the uh, salinity coming from that and some of the yeast from the drying out and just the um, that dark buried fruit and almost like gentle sweetness to it but still a heavy heavy salinity so it's it's a it's a plum like a fermented plum yes it's a they, fermented plum vinegar in japan the highly uh the highly salted versions uh, umeboshi which is kind of used as like a condiment you can you know dice it and use it as seasoning you can look you at know. you chris you nerd <laughs> i love yeah. it <laughs> tasting the, be- the best part is you know it's not <clears throat> necessarily always treated as a vinegar just the amount of salinity to it i very much treated as a salt in most things. Kind of like capers in a lot of ways yes. where you can get the salted capers or briny capers. Yep. It's just different versions of the same kind of thing. <laughs> we'll at, get to the capers. Don't worry. At Barca, <laughs> we would always pick uh, what what um, food you would be. And at Quattro always called me a crispy caper because I'm small and salty. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody made fun of me. She roasted me. Um, talk about the um, talk about the butter. Uh, so yeah. to go even further with the easy fermenty kind of buttery goodness. Uh, I don't even know where I got the idea from. I think I saw someone do popcorn grits. It might've been a Sean Brock thing Mm -hmm. I caught back in the day, but uh, made popcorn uh, crackers. So you basically just take your store-bought popcorn, make a couple of bags, boil it with a little bit of water, make your nasty gelatinous popcorn (laughs) stock. Uh, We often talk about robbing a movie theater to get that flavor. But We're the coming whole thing for you, Tinseltown. Look out. Yeah. It's I just mean, MSG. I was going to say, if you, it is. if you need extra popcorn, I think we have some contacts over at the Little Theater if you want to get the real good, good popcorn. Yeah, oh, I, need, hey, I need the dirty little popcorn. Little Theater, if you're not doing stuff. anything with that after, we'll take it off your hands. <laughs> yeah, we got some contacts over there. We'll get you um, We'll get you in there. What mushrooms do we have on top of here? Is it the maitake? That's the maitake. Yep. Nice. Oh, look at you getting fancy with your mushrooms. <laughs> what did you do this with This is the year of the mushrooms, I swear. Oh, and maitakes are kind of just really... One, they're highly prized. Oh, they're not really incredible. They're not really, um, they're not loved here in America nearly yeah. as much as they should be. One for the texture, two for the flavor, and three for how special they are. People go all gaga for truffles, which I like, but you know what? It's not a textural thing. No, no, no. I love the texture of really good mushrooms, and it's something that you know my takis offer. The truffles don't. The texture of truffles is generally not pleasant. Yeah, I mean... It's not good. If you cut them thick, they're not pleasant to eat. You don't see anybody coming to your back door with a bag full of truffles. No. Well, if they do, I mean, you can say thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And you can pay for their next dinner. (laughs) And I I just don't want those things. I want... I This season for chanterelles for me was absolutely incredible. Oh, awesome. I had people banging down my door, you know, I have chanterelles. I have just everything. And I was just scooping them all up. So this this to me was like the year of the mushroom. I had so many different people coming out from foraging and just be like, hey, try these mushrooms. Try these mushrooms. Nice. So Chris is about to take a bite. I'm just going to go through and talk about what I was getting on the wine too. So basically the whole theme is you do get that le- um, leasiness, that little bit of like stale beer kind of a thing going on in a real like hot way though. It's really fun. Oh, and just real quick, for people who are intimidating by wine, if you're drinking white wine, there are four things that you can kind of do to kind of pick things out for fruit profiles. Um, there's your citrus fruits, you know, lemon, lime, orange, grapefruit. 
Um, you could pick that out. There is like orchard fruit. Like think about like apples and pears. There's tropical fruit like pineapple and guava. Um, and then what's the other one that I'm missing? Stone fruit, peaches, apricots, all those kind of a thing. So if you can just pick out like, hey, I think this is orchard fruit, like apple like go for it. Like that's that's such a great start. And then from there, you can get more specific and nerd out. There's great minerality, um, almost a salinity from this wine as well. It's super bright, great acid kind of races through. Um, and I mean, you're right on the Mediterranean. Like you do, uh, it's, you know, technically they don't know how the minerality gets through there. And it's still kind of this great mystery of wine that we're doing a lot of experiments to figure it out, but it's there. So we, we eat the food and then we try the wine and we see what kind of happens and Chris, tell us, uh, tell us what you get. So one, a very well executed tartare. And so I'm, I'm going to eat. So <laughs> the reason I want to do this is I find the tasting process fascinating and we've done some tasting in here before, but this is a little bit different. It's a little more methodical. And I wanted to go through that process with people that do this all the time. Cause I, I think it's, I think it's interesting to listen to how we process these things. So I'm going to, also give like food commentary along the way. Cause that's something I do often, whether it's, you know, I'm asked to do it or I'm not. <laughs> um, so I, like, I generally try and just keep quiet. Yeah. Um, but you know, a well executed dish, you know, the tartare is good. The mushrooms are seasoned really well. The texture is right on. Um, for me, I'd want a little salt pop somewhere. I'd want a little bit of flaky salt on there just to give you those little explosions of flavor. It might not have gotten to where I, I think, got to. I think to. some tipped off right there. Yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say, it makes sense. Um, but everything about that you know, makes sense. Texture is really good. Dish on its own, delightful. With the wine, I think that um, the citrus, you know, the citrus and the acidity in here, because this does have citrus, it does have some stone fruit, but I think the citrus is probably more dominant now that I've had it again. Um, does help to cut through things, but the interesting part is the the mushroom and the cracker, how much it's echoing the mid, you know, the, the laziness and the body of the wine. So it's not just one level of pairing on it, it's actually two. It's the cutting of the acidity from the richness, the minerality touching the beef, as well as the body touching the roasted and earthy elements of it. You can use that on the menu if you need to. <laughs> Perfect. You're writing it for us, but <clears throat> No, because it, it, it's more than one layer of pairing in here, which is kind of fascinating. So we just kind of, um, like, you know, we're, we're not going for the quick cheats or anything. Like, we're not going to have you come in and be like, here's Sauvignon Blanc and goat cheese. Am I saying that we will never do something with Sauvignon Blanc and goat cheese? No, because we will. But it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be layered in lots of depth, but... Just um, trying these things together and just how, like, this wine, like, for me, it kind of just rips through. And like you said, the acid and, like, acidity kind of cuts through the food. But at the same time, you kind of lose that super overly bright, like, kind of like, like, whoa, kind of like white wines. And it kind of brings the fruit down into this riper, more stone fruit, bordering tropical fruit. The minerality at the end of it kind of, like, washes away. It's still there, but it's not quite as apparent. And it just makes the wine just a little friendlier, mm. right? Like, it's just fun. Like, hey, we just eat beef tartare. We tried this wine. Like, awesome. I think it's a hell of a combo. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, that that's how I taste things. I'm a, I'm a technical taster. I like to go through the waves of tasting, how each specific element runs through. Is each specific element done to as best the level it can be for what it is? 
And I think that's why I found this really fascinating was how was the layers of how it progressed through the palette. That's, that's how I like to go through spirits and other. That's um, honestly what we're shooting for. So I'm very happy it worked. <laughs> yeah. No, really, really good. We get nervous because just us two and like yeah. our friends will come over. His wife will make fun of us as she should. And, I've um, been there many times. <laughs> yeah. Please don't, don't have your wife come in here and pick on us. We've already been through enough. Oh man. She, she's uh, my wife has uh, an exceptional tasting palette. But mine's very technical. Hers is more experiential. Like, she'll pick out this, like, feeling from the wine where she'll have tasted something that reminds her of that in the past. I love yeah, that. Those are my favorite because it, it gets real weird, but it's super fun. Yeah, she can pick out some real interesting stuff, especially when we get into, like, some of the, um, you know, open fermented spirits, like, you know, the weird, like, pot still rums, um, you know, natural wines, things like that, that have some of these more you know, complicated fermentations through, you know, bacteria and through other things. Yeah. And that's you incredible. Know, she'll just pick out just wacky tasting notes, <laughs> which are fantastic. But for me, like I'm trying to break it down. Yeah. Cause that's and, just how I taste. And I mean, just the fact of us eating and tasting so many different things, you may not think of it that way, but in the back of your mind, you're developing these memories. So down the line, you're going to say, oh yeah, I was at this, I was doing a podcast and this tasting and I remember what he did with the, the mushrooms. Yeah, for sure. And just makes me want to eat more of my Taki mushrooms because <laughs> delicious. We will leave that tartar. We'll crush all that. None of this food's going to be left by the end of this. Oh no. But for the sake of, um, you know, we have two more awesome pairings and we can just talk about random things, which sounds super fun for me because I never shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like you from all the times I've eating at restaurants you're working at. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like, it's it's also funny. Like, I feel like Chris is just somebody that I just kind of, like, have always known. Like, I don't know exactly. I can't pinpoint when we met, where yeah, I was I'm, working. And I'm trying just, to remember the first time we actually ran across each other. I don't. I have no clue. Oh, you know, I think I do. I think it was a Riesling dinner at Unter Beer Garden, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. Was it the one outside? With, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, because we were all sitting at the same table, I believe. Grocky, Chris Grocky yep. was doing a bunch of stuff. I think Drew was there. I think it was just a whole... Talk about some wine nerds. whole cavalcade <laughs> of people. I, either I met you there, it was one of the first few times we had known each other. I, I think that's... Um, thank you for figuring that out, because I was thinking about it earlier, and I was like... In place. I was like, I, I, cause I would be like, Oh Chris, I remember when we met and I was like, wait, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what happens in a town like this too. The more you're around yeah, and, um, you make yourself known and not just for like doing, you know, doing a podcast, but also like caring about people doing their thing the best they can. Yeah. Just showing up for people. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons like that JJ and I got along right away is like, Oh yeah. He really cares about the wine, he loves it. And you can, like, if you go into good luck and you ask, you know, he's there and you ask about wine, he's going to give you a real reason why he's doing something. Mm -hmm. And that's like the people who I love. And that's why I love hanging out with, you know, with Psalms and other people who are just passionate is there's a reason they're telling you something. It's not just because they're selling it. Like it can't just be that yeah. it can be. Yeah. And a lot of places do that and do it well. And that's why we're together, because I've never met anybody in my life that has cared so much about one specific industry and service and everything surrounding it. I would not be with anybody else. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Um, so the next wine that we have in the glass are over to red. And just for everybody listening, um, if you're basic, uh, starting off basics and trying to get down to things, um, just try to go into the basic fruit camps. Um, if you're just trying to break down fruit, um, there's red fruit, there's black fruit, and there's blue fruit. Can you name me another blue fruit besides blueberry? No, <laughs> you have memorized 100% of the blue fruits that you can taste in wine today. Congratulations. So basically getting down like red fruit, black fruit, ripe, overripe, underripe for anybody at home. That's kind of where you always start. Then there's the others at funky, earthy, all these other things. Um, this is uh, Menthea, which you say it like Mike Tyson is talking to you. Mike, if you're listening, don't beat me up. All right? So I know it's you're Spanish. The show. <laughs> we are in Spain. Um, as soon as you hear it, it's like as soon as you hear somebody yep, pronounce yep. those things, you're either in... Portugal or Spain, probably. Yeah, yeah. so we are in Spain. Um, Anthea being the varietal. Um, a varietal I wish was a little bit more popular. Um, it's just there's so many parallels to it. And kind of like that. If you like Tempranillo, if you like Chianti, you should drink Menthea. It's really, really fun. You get super rich, earthy notes on it a lot of the times. The fruit structure could be all over the place from tart red up to ripe. Black fruit. Some people okay. Some people don't. We're in... Um, Ribera Sacra, I believe, is the um, the DO, and then. Um, so what what area would you describe that as? Oh, in Spain, like in, is that like, is that southwest? Is that <laughs> southeast? I know, no, I um. <laughs> you don't bad, know the world so, yet. Um, I don't. I will openly admit. What's Spanish the re- what's wine, the region? Um, Ribera Sacra, R I B E I R A Sacra S A C R A. Yeah, sometimes I'm a shitty sommelier, and I'll just buy things <laughs> off shelves and be like, Brian, we like this one. We're going to pair with it. And, and I not, say, okay. And not read a bunch of things about it, because I'll just sit there and nerd out with him. So, JJ, I'm not sure you knew. So, Ribera Sacra is a region in Spain, in the northwest of Spain. Oh, yes. Nice. Uh, the nice. northwest nice. Are we over of by Spain? the Rias Bashas area? Oh, or? wow, wow. All right, I know one. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, this so interesting thing about reds, a lot of... You know, as you're getting into wine, a lot of the, a lot of red wines can be very one note. Um, and, you know, it can often be a note that's very easy and very friendly, very, you know, very fruit forward, uh, very oak forward, um, something that you're very comfortable with. And often, will either be low acidity or um, an uncomfortable amount of added acidity to a wine <laughs> that shouldn't have it. Um, this certainly is not that. Um I think this is a very interesting wine on the nose. So as we're smelling it, so this is this would be this would be one of those wines where I smell that that graphitey kind of nose on it, which would um, gives me some of that. But as I've sat with it a little bit, um, to me this would this would indicate that it's probably natural fermented in some form or another. I can smell a little bit of like pickle brine on it after I sit with it a little bit. A little bit of pickle brine, a little bit of that kind of thing. And whenever I smell that, I typically would dial that into a little bit of a uh, little bit of natural fermentation, which maybe a little bacteria, something like that, giving it a little bit of that savory nose. The rest of it, I would say, is darker fruits, but lively. It's not, it's like fresh, like fr- fresh blackberries, not like, not dried. It's not like dried cherries. Like it's not that dark, rich, like Cabernet Sauvignon, where it's these rich, hard, deep berries and dried cherries. It's not that. This is, you can taste some freshness, some liveliness, and 
taste me. I haven't tasted it yet, but it's got some liveliness to those raspberry blackberries with a little bit of that, a little bit of funk on the nose. Not harsh, but just a little bit of edge. Not barnyardy like some of the harder natural wines, but a little bit of that savoriness and maybe a little bit of volatile acidity. Maybe not volatile acidity, but I'm getting that, say, that there's pickle no, brine. There's no VA on it, but there no. certainly is those brighter fruits. Um, again, I think the ripe fresh berries is such a great call. I get a little hints of smokiness mm-hmm. in with that graphite. Like there's uh, evidence of a little bit of that leatheriness here. And um, it's mm. really, really fun. I, I, it's just a fun wine. Again, these are, if you want... A great value, Menthea is a great value for you. So, um, that, like this bottle, what what are we talking about retailish? I mean, so retail, I believe I picked this up at Pinnacle right before I came. Like a lot of the times, I shop at Pinnacle and Baytown. Um, quality local, quality local wine stores is your place to learn because they're not going to steer you just to sell you. They want to sell you something you're really going to enjoy. Going to Pinnacle, going to Baytown, going to Parkway. Parkway's dope. I have quality, got to go in there. Quality wine stores. Yeah. I mean, hell, you want to taste um, uh, what Matt does on Friday nights at Parkway. They've got 10 to 12 bottles open, and you just go and taste on a Friday night, and they're trained. They love sampling. I, I hyped the place up. My buddy George Cattell works there, who I do In Good Spirits with. He's a big Star Wars nerd. He certainly is. Uh, I look for his posts every time after I watch a Bubba Fett episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but going to those kind of stores, you will learn because they're, they want to teach. They want you to have a great time tasting wine. Yeah, most um, definitely. This was... is like 28 bucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and well, well worth the price. Um, on the palate, this is refined without being super polished. I'd say, you know, the fruits are still there. It finishes mid-dry. It's not super tannic or super drying. I wouldn't say it has like a ton of like stem inclusion where it's that really drying. It's not very a- friendly. This is a very nice wine. Absolutely. Rounds, rich fruit, still pretty ripe. A little bit of that kind of, um, uh, There, there's some oak aging on this. I can definitely get some evidence of new oak just because there's a hint of caramel in the background or a hint of- But it's uh, light. Super light, well integrated. I would nope. say it's like- so it, if you're trying to get somebody be, into Menthea, you think this would be a perfect one? I think this is a perfect one. There's yeah. also another one they sell there that we've been using. It's for like 16 bucks, 18 bucks. So, I mean, you know, you're out of your $10 range, but you're under 20. I think if you can get a quality bottle of wine for oh, 20 bucks, like you're <laughs> yeah. you're going because if you saw my wines, you'd be like, whoa, dude, there's a lot. <laughs> uh, but Brian, talk about the food. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this one is a little bit of fun. And albeit a little a weird, fun. Mm-hmm. really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so again, direct pairings, mushrooms are obviously going to work very well. So why stop there? Uh, I did kind of a version of a K-Cop Manis, which is like an Indonesian sweet soy sauce. Uh, they use it almost like a ketchup. So I brought it a little further, added a little funk of gochujang, and I found this really interesting bene seed miso. Uh, I think it's out of Cincinnati. Okay. So I kind of made almost like a Korean barbecue sauce meets Indonesian ketchup style sauce. Bene seed, that doesn't ring a bell. Bene seed is the African version of a sesame seed, Ah. which was brought over here on the slave ships, made their way down south, and it is now a major staple in the finer restaurants in South Carolina. So this is something you can get from Anson Mills, which is kind of the go-to spot for heritage um, 
Oh, heritage yeah. is probably the incorrect term to use for that. I'd say, you know, the classic versions of those grains that were brought over yep. um, from West Africa. Yeah, your, which, your original grits, your rice, your original corns, different varietals of these cornmeals and everything. You can find everything from Anson Mills. Yeah, and it's a great place to shop for that kind of stuff. If you want things that have real flavor yeah. and not just, oh, it's grits. Like, I no. try to go down to South Carolina at least once a year. I got a ton of family down there, and I just stock up. <laughs> yeah, so that sounds fascinating. I love miso, and I've had many different versions of it over the years. Yeah, from the, all different... the Benny miso I found is absolutely incredible. This really nice sweetness to it. Yeah, so... it has to, I'm trying to taste it before I taste it in my head Yeah, because the fattiness of sesame seeds is a very different thing than, you know, the starchiness of beans, like whether it be black beans or chickpeas or soybeans or other things. It's actually a very different different it's a very different thing because it's it's nutty it's sweet it's oily which is a different thing yep altogether yeah you're almost going as far as tahini at that point so i mean koji fermentation i mean yeah at that point my brain starts focusing right back to say peanuts peanut butter Mm -hmm. all of these things are borderline interchangeable to me and like mentally i'm just kind of swapping out these types of ingredients and I know what direction I want to go in, so why not have a little bit more fun and use different ingredients to get the same result? And so you cooked the uh, the mushrooms in that, right? Did all the yep. glaze and everything? Yeah, we got um. These Cooking. are actually amazing mushrooms right from Henrietta here at uh, Leap Foods. Oh, they're uh, is this their oyster mushrooms? Yep, the blue oysters. Yeah, the the texture on those is really good. I had him on the podcast years ago. Yeah, they do they're doing an incredible job. Texture and flavor of those is really good. Yeah, so uh, I really actually pleasant. cooked them separately. I cooked the stems separately from the top little floral part. Don't throw away your mushroom stems. <laughs> don't no, throw away your no, mushroom no, no, stems. No. And especially if you don't throw anything away. Nope. Cooking cooking mushrooms in, you know, um, you know, koji fermented soy things, whether it's soy sauce or miso or other things like that, or mushroom powder, uh, if you're messing around, which is one of my absolute favorite ingredients. I'm not going to tell you uh, the three different mushroom powders I have at my house in my pantry right now. Uh, see, I've got the <laughs> I've got the, uh, the the Viet stuff you buy in the Oh, I told you this season for mushrooms is really good. Oh, you did real dry. Oh, yeah. Yes. So I, all the excess that I had, all the nice. kind of the broken down stems pieces, I dehydrated and ground into a powder. Very exciting. What? Let's dive into this. I'm excited. Yeah. So, also right on top there, you're going to see some uh, turmeric pickled shrimp, little lime, little orange juice, little lemon. Uh, that kind of plays a little texturally off of everything, and that's all sitting right on top of a fried rice paper. We wanted to get a little bit of that sweetness right in there, so that's kind of where the rice paper comes in. Well, and I love the texture too. I mean that that airy chicharron, you know. Uh, or, you know, really pork rind texture, yeah. but more delicate. Yeah, we're doing pickled shrimp with red wine. We're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the look of the mushrooms right away. Because that's... The, uh, sorry, the uh, furikake over top, right? Furikake. Kind of, we just, that was a little late discovery to the game yesterday. That was yesterday morning. Uh, we... I had a thought in my head, and I kind of wanted to go with it. So I wanted a little brininess uh, from furikake seasoning which is kind of a mixture of some more sesame, but your standard style sesame. Oh, you got the crunch right on the mic. <laughs> the Make sounds. people cringe. So interesting on the on the mushroom, I grabbed it on its own to try and taste some of that. Some of that, it's none of it's super present. Like it's, it's a very harmonious flavor on there. Like you're not, it's not, it's not gochujang forward. It's not, you know, that, um, that miso forward, but 
Like I can taste those things in harmony. It's not like, like when I cook, I cook in excess. Yeah. Like I use miso until it's miso-y. I, I've That's, been trying to dial myself back. <laughs> this is very restrained. It's obviously done intentionally. You know, it's that's the fun part is how can you dial it down without yeah. dumbing it down, which is a challenge when you're doing this kind of cooking because you want to highlight those amazing ingredients. Yeah. So is it better to pop an ingredient or is it better to dial it until it's super harmonious? And it's kind of the never-ending challenge yeah. of cooking. And that's that's pretty much what we're thinking about when we're focusing on every single bite. Like we want every bite to have a purpose. Hmm. It's just delicious on its own, but then just try the, uh, I mean, I'm really interested because we've been, we've been toying with this one and we think this is kind of like a, a home run, super weird, super fun. Cause you just get so many flavors and I'm really interested to see what you think. Hmm. So the acidity is much more present when you're drinking it with the wine. Mm-hmm. What I, what I smelled in there, that, that little like pickle brine that I was getting on the on the wine. When I say that, I don't say that as a negative, by the way. It's just I'm trying to isolate what I'm smelling. And it's just a little bit. It's a little bit of something in there. Whether it's salinity or something else to me, I got acidity. Sorry to whoever has to hear me chew. Mm. So it's interesting. The shrimp come out a lot more when you're tasting it with the wine. Without it, it's actually not super present. Mm-hmm. But it almost completely flips when you're eating it on its own. The mushrooms more forward, you know, that balanced, round, earthy, savory notes are much more present. And with the wine, the acidity and the shrimp come right out. It completely flips the taste of it, which is really interesting. It's like a reverse, almost a reverse pairing. Mm -hmm. Because most things we try to bring super acidic and tart flavors down and give you a riper, richer flavor, try to pop something. Um, But this one, we just thought it was so cool because I think... There's these mini layers and you can pick out every flavor in that wine if you sit there long enough with it and kind of like get like real small hints, but it kind of like pops each layer. Like, and just kind of like, it puts an exclamation point into like the brightness of the wine. It puts like a little exclamation point in like the little hints of smoke that you get with it. It, And each time there's just like another little thing that comes through. We originally did this with um, what bib lettuce. Yeah. Yeah. And the lettuce actually was throwing off, I think, the bitterness. Yeah, we were tasting it as one bite, and we were noticing something. So we had to take everything apart, go mm-hmm. bite by bite, and kind of figure that the we were like, greenery the mushrooms that and the shrimp are did friends. not work. And then we were like, what about, and I was like, you know, this is where I had to say a lot of things. <laughs> and then Brian comes back with solutions, so it's really fun. <laughs> but we looked through our notes. Again, we have like 13-page, 15-page document. We looked through our notes, and we were like, Dude, something with rice and starch works really well with menthea. We did yeah, that I think around we did a like risotto a couple of months ago. Yeah, we did a risotto with it. And we we're like, wow, that really worked well. So we were like, Brian, like, would had, you have like some? I had some rice noodles laying around in the fridge. So I was like, okay, wait, let's just try this real quick, put it together. Obviously, rice noodles are going to be a horrible, sorry, not horrible, just not exciting. Well, and it, to me, like, what I would, so if I were, if I were constructing this, and you went to risotto, I would have gone to some sort of paella-like thing. I mean, playing with the Spanish, yeah. playing playing with the Spanish origin, keeping the pickled shrimp in there as that like, you know, it's it's a twist on the classic. So it's the mushroom. It's still the same thing. You're doing it inside of the auspices of a 
little paella with the, you know, using the shells, you know, if you're yeah. getting whole shrimp, oh, using yeah. the shells, putting it right in there, um, using the same mushrooms, but with maybe the starch of rice itself versus rice paper, but you don't get that crunch. That. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting take on it. I like yeah, the just, crunch because the shrimp, sorry, the shrimp are just so like something that you guys can't try or taste <laughs> at home. Like the shrimp are so freaking good. Yeah. No, and the and turmeric, the turmeric and the acidity are very present. And when you taste the food on its own, what it actually brings out is the sweetness of the mushrooms, the sweetness of the gochujang on the mushrooms and the sweetness probably from the sesame as well. Yeah. That, that bene seed sesame or I think it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And it really comes clean with the acidity from the shrimp. Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's very interesting how the wine plays that different in my palate. Yeah. And we thought it'd be a lot of fun to just, you know, go the complete opposite direction and do something kind of Korean and very far Eastern. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to set up for our last tasting, and then we're going to hang out for a little bit. So um, thanks to the team over here for, one, amazing food so far. And we'll be right back. Just a reminder to go to curatemeals.com to check out the meal for April 20th, another great local restaurant. And you buy a meal for two from us, you can pick it up at the German house. We have custom beverage pairings every time. We actually starting wine pairings again, now that New York State has changed the laws. So join us on April 20th, go for pickup, and you'll be able to buy a custom pairing when you pick up your meal. Another great restaurant coming up, and we've been having so much fun doing Curate. So I hope you join us on April 20th and every two weeks after that on curatemeals.com. Well, now that my microphone's not falling down in my lap because I broke everything during the break, <laughs> uh, we're back with uh, second uh, with our last tasting from. Remind me of the name again, JJ. <laughs> oh, we uh, pan- oh Nebia, yeah, Nebia, Nebia from the fog from the Nebia boys. Oh, I like that. So what? <laughs> the what, Nebia boys. The Nebia boys. So we've got a sandwich in front of us. What what sandwich do we oh, have in front Lord, of don't us? Don't make me say it. We can't say words. Oh very good. please! Our French is absolutely terrible. We don't word good. It is the quintessential French sandwich based out of Nice. Ah. Uh, as what Gordon Ramsay has referred to, the greatest combination of ingredients known to man. Mm. Uh, I'll take a stab at it. Why not? Uh, we'll go with pain bagnier. Ah. And we just say pain bagnier because we're savages and <laughs> nobody likes us. But, but, so. Pain bagnier. Pain bagnier? I think so. I'd have to look pain, at the. Pain, pain. I actually spoke French for a while. Not oh, well, oh, but. So you're way ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, no, not well. I just read a couple of French menus one day. Yes. <laughs> we like the food. We like the wine. We can't say the language. <laughs> As will be the case with almost every region on earth for us. <laughs> But yeah. the important Palm part Barnier. about this yeah. sandwich, yep. you know, crusty bread, a bunch of different really briny ingredients, your anchovies, your olives. Uh, instead of kind of a standard uh, boiled egg, we went with a nice grabiche dressing, a uh, little red wine vinegar, uh, some parsley in there, some capers. Uh, use a nice olive oil. What else did we throw in there? Oh, the Midnight Roma tomatoes. Oh, talk about the Midnight Roma tomatoes. Those, tomato. to me, are one of the greatest culinary masterpieces of the last, I don't know, two, three years. Okay. Uh, there's a little seed company out of Cornell that was kind of formed in conjunction with Chef Dan Barber from Blue Hill. Row 7. Yes. yes Row 7 delights. seeds. 
through uh, in conjunction with uh, fruition seeds. Yep. Uh, right out of Naples, there. I forget the forget the gentleman's name. Who's the the main person? Because it's um, oh man, I had her on the podcast years ago. Um, uh, their partner. Yeah, tip of my tongue. I. They're I great. Watch, I but watch her Instagram stories all the time. Yeah, and it's uh, Fruition's an amazing seed company doing development with Cornell. Yes. So Rose Evans, Cornell, and yep. Fruition in a lot of different places all together making these just astonishing local, local-based local seed development for growing in our region yep. in colder climates. Not meant for mass production, but meant for efficient production in our climate zone. And along with that efficiency, the efficiency for flavor. And that's oh. kind of the genesis from Chef Barber was to really breed for flavor. And so these tomatoes were bred with, uh, they were crossed with anthocyanin, which is the blue from the blueberry, you know, tons of antioxidants, minerals, things like that. So they're really cool. Once they start to ripen, they almost look like they bleed down a bit. Mm. And last summer I grew a couple, couple out on the porch and made sure to can them immediately at the end of the summer when they started to bleed down real nice. So just the other day, I popped open the first first can. Mm. Nice little sweetness to them, nice balanced acidity, and they're just absolutely incredible. It's just like bringing me back to summertime all over again. Yeah, and uh, just uh, for other people, if you're tasting other things from um, that uh, that seed development, the other things you really need to be tasting are the honey nut squashes. Yep. Which are pretty much the best squash you can get. They yeah. have newer versions that are starting to come out now that are even sweeter yeah. and richer of squash flavor. But the honey nut squashes, it's basically taking a butternut, compressing it down into a third of the size, but with the same amount of flavor yeah. and sweetness, all just concentrated down. And now you can find them at Wegmans. Amazing product. Yeah. And it started with the 898 squash was their first one. Yeah. They'd I've, send out these seeds, and then they'd so have good. you and whoever you know buys these seeds kind of help them document everything. Mm-hmm. So I was part, actually part of the first batch of the 898s, oh. and I got the first batch of the potatoes, the the abundance potato. Oh, yeah, yeah, I So heard they about sent those. me a bunch of stuff, you know, take notes on this at this point, that point, that point, and then just send us back your notes. Yeah. And it was absolutely incredible to kind of be a part of that. And it's what an astonishingly good product. Yeah, oh, absolutely amazing. It's It makes squash cooking so easy. Yeah. Like it's... It's like a, it's so concentrated and sweet and delicious. It's an amazing product, just like the the habanada and some of the other stuff they're doing there. It's it's amazing work, and I we can't recommend highly enough. Yeah, you know, getting fruition seeds, going out, you know, going out and buying plants from there, find, looking into this row seven, buy some honey nut squash. It's maybe the best piece of produce you're going to buy in our area. It's amazing. Wholeheartedly agree. So good. So we've got a you know. Oily fish forward sandwich, which I'm going to save most of this for my wife because (laughs) she is going to love this. This is, she loves oily fish. Her, like if she's getting in the cabinet, you'll see Portuguese, uh, you know, uh, Portuguese uh, uh, anchovies and stuff like that. So tasty. The sandwich is made for her. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's like one of her absolute favorite thing is oily fish in, in cans or oily fish generally. Well, let's just bring that over to the next thing, because if I know anything from what everybody says is that you can't do fish in red wine, right? It's not supposed to go together. Specifically tinned seafood? What's that? Specifically tinned seafood? Because <laughs> that just 
falls off everybody's palate when they just they say there's seafood. just a saying that you're not supposed to do fish and red wine. But here we are with um, I'm going to nerd out here. This is going to be pretty wild. Barbara to Elba. Do you want to say you just took a bite and you're smiling? Mm. No. So <laughs> so what I'm going to say is this is the kind of sandwich. If you just read it, you might get scared away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like personally, I've, I was never a huge like oily fish fan, you know, like fresh mackerel or yeah. all that stuff. Or it was never my favorite thing. This is kind of the gateway drug to oily fish, this sandwich. So this is the first flavors you get are basically an Italian sub. So if you taste like, you know, a real, and not we're not talking, I mean, we're not talking like, Bad Italian subs yeah. like you'd get at Wegmans. Um, <laughs> we're talking like real, like like if you get it like a real Italian deli with a crusty roll and you know acidic dressing with real you know real cured oh. meats with that with a little bit of that funk, a little yep. bit of that you know the gamey earthiness, that meatiness, it real but that depth of meatiness. Yeah. Shout out to Rossi and Sons in Poughkeepsie. Oh, there you go. Best deli on the face of the earth. But that's what this tastes like. The first bite is amazing Italian sandwich. And then you get into the next level of rounded fishiness. Not not intensely fishy. Like people get scared away for fishy fishiness. Yeah. This has some fishiness, but it's balanced by the uh, by the brininess of the uh of the olives in there and you know, the other, the other bright ingredients. This is an astonishingly balanced, punchy sandwich and just really good. <laughs> so you. I'm going to nerd out about the wine because this is GB <laughs> Berlotto and this is Piedmont. <clears throat> this is one of my absolute favorite producers on the face of the earth. Oh, and this is their Barbara, uh, Barbara de Elba 2019. Important to note that I have seller aged this bottle for a year for us as their 2020s were just released. Um, Anybody who's going to be coming to good luck in the next couple of weeks, I have seller aged their Barbera and Dolcetto for a year that we are going to be selling by the glass um, because I think Rochester deserves it. It just rounds it out. It brings it down. But this this producer goes back to the 1800s. We're in Piedmont. Um, So hold on a second. I'm going to pause for a second. When you're talking about seller aging... So are you talking in the bottle or are you talking about something else, something different? So the, when I say cellar aging, I'm just referring that I got this bottle of wine one year ago and okay. it has just literally been in the cellar with the idea with aging wine. Uh, a couple of things. There is some oxygen exchange through the cork um, as well as there's still like, you know, wine is a living thing. It's, it's moving around. It's settling in on itself, but there's always an active chemical reaction that's happening, whether it has a cork, a Stelvin, which is a twist top. Don't get scared away from Stelvins. They're great wines, too. <laughs> yeah, super easy, and a lot of quality producers are using those now. One, for the ease of the consumer, and two, well, sometimes they don't want as much exchange of oxygen over time. So you're going to, especially for some of the brighter, like brighter, more you know, ready-to-drink high-acid wines, like you don't necessarily want oxygen transfer you want it to stay as fresh as possible and even like regardless there's still going to be chemical reactions going on in this bottle and there's going to be links and chains of different proteins coming together that's where you get sediment and everything so how much difference do you would you expect generally to see in a year just just out of like 
because people think about aging, right? Something people know about wine is that, hey, you sit it. This, I mean, not saying it's always right, but it's something people know about wine is you sit down, you sit down wine longer and it gets better. How much difference to you does a year make in that process? A year makes a pretty big difference. I'll talk um two different things that I kind of do. There's certain things that I'll collect and age. We're the first, uh, Good Luck is the first restaurant that did a ticketed wine dinner with GB Berlotto. Fabio Alexandria is the producer. Uh, Verduno, Piedmont, we're in Barolo. Uh, Verduno is the uh, crew or the... Um, not the crew, I'm saying it wrong, but it's one of the towns. There's 11 communes um, there, and I believe 11, it could be nine. Sometimes I mix things up in my head. Uh, but anyways, there's different communes. <laughs> Verduño's is really dope one. Their most famous wine is their Montvillero, um, which is a tiny crew in the commune of Verduño. So we have Piedmont. All right, so we have Italy, right? We're going big. There's Italy. It's on this place called Earth. Pretty good place. <laughs> we have our problems, but we're, we're, we're working it out. All right, then you have Piedmont, really Northwest. <laughs> Northwest and most famous varietal there is Nebbiolo. Hey, why does that sound like Nebbia? Because it means fog as well. So it's kind of like that huge. I'm obsessed with Nebbiolo. So it's one of the, it's one of the bigger red wine grapes that is friendly to aging, but doesn't have to be aged. It's not like something, Oh, this needs age to be good. No, no, it can still be really good, fresh and relatively young. It's kind of the, it's a big, it's a big grape in Italy for that reason. And there's tons of huge regionality with red grapes and white grapes in Italy where it's very regional, but this is kind of the, one of the high notes of red wine. I was going to say it's a quintessential, like there's Nebbiolo being grown in Piedmont and like some areas around it and everything. There's um, Alto Piedmont and a few other areas around Catanara um, is all in there too. Mm. And then you have Virginia. (laughs) <laughs> has some uh, Nebbiolo that's grown, and it's really fucking good. Hmm. Can we swear on this thing? I mean, you did, so I think we're good. <laughs> eh, sorry, I'm a terrible human. I've held it in this long. Um, and then there's a little bit on the West Coast. There's some down in Australia. Our very good friends from Living Roots make this awesome Nebbiolo, and I have their 2016, I believe, still hanging out in the wine fridge. Very nice. Laying down because, like you said, Nebbiolo, you could drink it fresh, Longays especially they're kind of made in that fresher style, like go for them, drink them. They're some of the most age worthy wines on earth though. And some of the things that happen is a tannin. Um, so people say like, it's that feeling of dryness in your mouth. Um, to say that it's a dry wine is the incorrect term. Dry is just a scale of sweetness. Dry is just without residual sugar. Sweet means there's a lot. Tannin is that drying feeling. And so a lot of the times tannins will reduce over time and kind of come together um, I believe the reasoning or theory behind that is tannin is a protein structure. And as they link together while they're aging in the wine, they'll kind of form and it'll be sediment that'll kind of come out, but they're longer protein structures. And when there's little things, um, they'll hit your tongue more often when there's bigger things. Um, they'll, it, you won't have as many spots in your tongue hitting, so you won't perceive them as much. Your fruits kind of come out earthiness kind of evolves a little bit. I think seven years is kind of that sweet spot with Barolo mm. where you start getting a lot of these other notes, but you can literally, um, I think Red had a 1964 Rinaldi Barolo that was on their list. Holy cow. Yeah, and guess what? That's probably still singing. So back to GB Berlotto. <laughs> they were actually, um, 
the only wine, like there, there are so many weird stories. It's like one of the only wines that was brought up on this expedition by some Duke in Italy who was like, oh, I'm going to go to the Arctic. So they brought it. They're one of the first places in Barolo to do like a single crew bottling where they just said Monvillero on it. Um, Castello di Verduño is the same family of GB Berlotto, I believe, and they just ended up splitting as many Italian families do, and now they have like two different properties. Fabio Alexandria, I met him in New York City. Uh, shout out to Scott Elder for setting that up, and my favorite sommelier in Rochester, Ian Criticos, was there. <laughs> Ian Criticos was at GB Berlotto um, when he was just rendezvousing with Abby over in Italy, and he was sending me all sorts of tasting notes and everything. So, really long story. We're back to it. This is a year-aged. Um, their Fraser. This is a pro tip. This is your sommelier pro tip. Spend twenty-five to thirty bucks on Fraser. F R E I S A from G B Berlotto. Um, age it for three to four years, and it'll drink like a hundred and fifty to two hundred dollar. Bottle of wine. Brian, you probably remember my birthday better than I do. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. Maybe a little <laughs> bit. I did this thing called drink and smoke all day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I may be a little bit into the cannabis game and uh, unapologetically. If you're yeah. not into it, I don't know. I suggest trying it. Maybe you'll chill out. We're in New York State. We're, we're legal now. Right? What a deal. Legal. Uh, but I brought a Frasia, I think it was a 2017. Um, and this was last April. Over to Avino, Ian served us, and we had a Barolo and a Brunello, and those are like some big heavyweight wines that cost a lot. And this Fraser, that's like 25 bucks, and you just age it for four years, and it was punching out of its weight class. By far, everybody was like, holy cow, this wine's great. And that's how I got introduced with GB Berlotto. Yeah, so what I can say from tasting it, wait a oh, second. Yeah, sorry. Wait, we need, we need to give, we need to say... Yay, what an amazing description. Yay. Right? I learned so much so quickly. I'm, I'm still not done. I'll talk more about you. Loto. I love you. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, that was a very... So this is... Let's talk about the description for a second, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, like, I love all of that. There's It's a ton of detail. Um, but this is like we're... This is the level we can... We want to nerd out at. Um, the story of a place can be a big part of somebody enjoying a wine, you know, describing it, you know, the evocative description of, you know, your experience with it, going there, having people that have tasted it. This can be a huge part of introducing people to wine, but like you used, you had a ton of words, like all about one wine. And none of them even described the wine. Zero, (laughs) zero percent. And so that, but that's one, it it. can be great. And two, it can be, it can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're here, we're talking, we're nerding out. We love that. That's what we're doing. That's what we're enjoying. But it's something we all have to try to balance is how do we how do we pitch this wine to somebody efficiently, not to scare them off, but to taste something that is pretty spectacular. So like in the glass, this is, you said, a year, a year in the cellar after bottling. Mm-hmm. So this one still does not taste, I wouldn't say it tastes particularly aged. No. So this is still fresh. This is you know, medium plus acidity for a wine like this, mm-hmm. you know, really, I mean, really beautiful acidity, but it's not sparkling. It's not like, you know, it's keeping you wanting to go back more. The tannins are light, um, light. That's, you know, nice little crisp dry finish with the dry tannins, but it's not harsh with, you know, a lot of stems where it's really dry on the back. 
Um, the fruits are lively, but very, you know, very, um, they're polished. It's polished fruitiness. It's not like super fresh, super bright, like fresh fruit. It has some polish to it. Everything about it is polished. And what I would say is when this would get older, the likelihood is that the acidity will get more integrated. It'll probably get a little silkier along the road. And maybe that sweetness and body will change with the acidity rounding through. And I could see this being an exceptionally polished wine in that X amount of more time because of the, how good the acidity is now. I could see that really turning into this polished beauty as it changes. One of the things um, with this wine and like, you know, Paul to cork. We were my, my friend, Brian, um, different Brian, uh, mage, out there. mage now. Yeah yeah. 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 Man down, down. He's my boy. I love we're, him. We're going to steal him one day. Yeah. He's going <laughs> to come up and DJ. He's a sommelier DJ down in New York city. He's one of my, uh, one of my really, really lovely friends. Um, but we opened one of these bottles and we were smelling the cork and it smells like bacon. Like, I feel like there's this real <laughs> earthy note that starts to come out this richness. So I mm. do have, um, we're on 2019. I believe when I was trying to find this bottle i might have drank all of it but i think i had a 2017 um but it might have been sacrificed to my belly but (laughs) no i see what you mean but every everything you're mentioning is light so for me this has sort of the i'm actually getting like a lot of like a lot of apple skins so like you know the apple skin part of this with the the acidity of kind of like the modern apples you know like the honey crisp kind of apple acidity you know, it's, it's bright, but it's not overbearing. I get it. I'm the reason I say apple skins. Cause I, I'm getting some of that like skin kind of tannins where it's that light, that light bitterness, but not, it's not punch you in the face bitterness. You know, like it's really restrained and it really works with everything. So it's like, like mid fruits, you know, it's like, um, like bright cherry, and, you know, there's some of that, like, really bright acidic apple and apple skins. Like, this, it's very, when I say polish, like, the last one we had was big, punchier, darker fruits. This is very, like, it's very smooth all the way through. Everything about it, it's riding your palate. Everything about it's really nice. And what it works with really well is the punchier flavors of the sandwich. And was there celery in there? No, parsley. Parsley. Yeah. So it was echoing those green flavors really well because there was like almost a light. It's like a tiny bit of that like green pepper thing. Yeah. Some of the like that chlorophyll really like punching through and like this grabs onto that and almost keeps it super fresh. It works with the brininess, you know, like the olive brininess. Like this really works with that because this is nice, but it kind of works really well with those intense flavors because of the acidity and those like those uh, structured tannins. <laughs> oh, look at me using fucking words. I love it. And you're <laughs> swearing. Welcome to the club. We're assholes. Um, one of the things that I love is mm. it love drops that. that acid down. Like you yep. were saying, salt and acid interact and they kind of neutralize each other. And that was our idea here. And I think our notes said what that Barbera randomly like. I forget how we came up with this one. Barbera randomly, we were tasting and we were like, oh, wow, this tin fish that we were with kind of really works out. This saltiness and this acid are really kind of plugging through. And then um, eggs. Eggs were the big one. 
Eggs were the big eggs one. hit us a yeah. couple of different places, and like each time, it just kept blowing our minds. It's weirdly that that little. This one, like the last one we smelled, had a lot of that graphite-y taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one has just a little bit, and it kind of grabbed on to that, you know, not in a bad way. When we talk about sulfur in eggs, yeah. you know what's that sulfury? It actually grabs onto that, and it brings it out, but not in a not in a bad way. It brings that stuff out where in the sandwich by itself, it doesn't because the punchiness of the fish and the you know, briny ingredients dominate the egg other than the egg being body. And this actually brings it out a little bit where now you can taste the egg. You can taste the brine differently because it's that combination of oil and brine in the sandwich, but this almost separates some of the ingredients so you can taste them more precisely. Yeah, I think originally was, was it the Barbera pairing that we discovered just a hard-boiled egg? It was really just like punching through everything. Mm. It was so absolutely I had, amazing. I yeah. had a theory on this. Um, <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> years I mean, ago, Chris Grocky and I were at Radio Social having brunch, and we had the uh, Ocapinti. Um, not Etna Bianco. It's grown on Etna. It's a white wine, all the same varietals, but I don't think it's um, DOC. Um, Sounds like the kind of wine that would go really well with their... Side note, just if anybody hasn't gone to Radio Social Brunch... Oh, you're um, missing out. Certainly one of the best brunches in Rochester. Absolutely. Agreed. The crew's um, great. The food's amazing. Like, it's just so fun. You can yeah. bowl after. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's one of the most complete pictures of what... Um, of what that hard fusion concept really looks like yeah. in oh, yeah. intentionality and execution of, you know, a lot of those, you know, those Israeli flavors tied into a brunch menu. I, that's why I think it's kind of exceptional is it really rings into that hard, into that like um, intentional fusion. Yeah. They stick to their guns too. Like they have yeah. this idea and they just roll with it. They don't change yeah, because, it's perfectly you know, executed. Like, there's a yeah. lot of things in Rod. There's pushback, right? Anytime you do something new, there's always pushback, no matter where you are. Rochester, in particular, you get some pushback on things, but they just stick with what they do and they do it really well. Um, but for we, sure. So uh, the Okapinti, um, kind of this super. Uh, it's it's you've you've mentioned natural wine. Just so anybody doesn't know, like natural wine is just a term that without a definition. I saw, and if you don't follow on. Instagram shitty wine memes. Um, <laughs> you're an asshole because it's hilarious. I met her at FL Excursion, which we'll talk about. It was absolutely amazing. She's so cool. Um, but she makes the best wine memes. And the last one that she did was, um, your, your glass is empty. What do you want? Oh, this is so good. I'm having more of this. Yeah, yes, you are. <laughs> this Listen, is pretty spectacular. I told Brian. I told Brian, I was busting out the Berlotto. You know, it's special when I bust out the Berlotto. Right? <laughs> um, but so shitty wine memes. And it was like all these things. And I swear to God, she quoted me <laughs> when we were talking to <laughs> FL Excursion about natural wine. Cause it's like a bunch of these like little birds or dogs. I don't remember. And one of them is saying like, Oh, it's a uh, minimal. I don't like natural. I like the term minimal intervention and mm-hmm. this and that. And I was like, Holy shit. She's roasting me, but I sound like every other sommelier. So natural wine is just the idea, uh, spontaneous fermentation. The yeast is from the vineyard. When you grab a grape and there's white coating on it, that's yeast. Um, so it's naturally occurring in the world everywhere. Open top fermentation is everywhere. And you should really enjoy these products because they give a unique terroir driven experience. Um, there's not really a lot of filtering or fining very important, Fining, we'll go back to that. And there's this thing 
there's not the addition or minimal addition of sulfites, which some places I just want to like scream this and I'm going to tell you your hangover is not from sulfites. If you have a sulfite allergy, like people that say like, oh, sulfites make me feel bad. And I watch them eat dried fruit, shrimp, and drink Coca-Cola. Cured or cured Cured meats. meats. Cured meats. Yeah. If you're not getting anything from those, you're not allergic to sulfites. You're drinking alcohol. All right, and I think it's you're drinking alcohol and you're getting drunk and you're probably drinking shitty wine that has lots of sugar in it. Yep. Not to say sweet wines are bad. Do not think <laughs> I'm saying that. I'll fight you. Oh my but. god! So side, so we'll we'll talk about this in a minute. Yeah. So, um, actually, you know what? I think we should do. Let's finish up the discussion on this pairing. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, let's let's finish up that. We're gonna we're gonna close out this this part uh, this episode. And then the rest of it's gonna probably pop as a sub episode another time. So, um. But this, this sandwich and this pairing makes a ton of sense. And I think this is another example of that's intentional and it makes a ton of sense. So let's close out, let's close out the episode with where, where are we going with Nebbia? Where, where does the path, where does the path look like for, for the two of you fine gentlemen? So as you know, we had mentioned before, we get together a couple times a week, you know, at least once a week, we're kind of pairing things, put them together, you know, just essentially building ourselves a resume, but you know, long-term goal, start to find a place, get people in there. And just, we want to share these conversations with everybody. We want to make food and wine approachable. I want to be able to have my mother who doesn't know anything about food and wine, come in, have a good time and just be able to hang out and not feel like she's being sold something or pushed on something or made to try something she doesn't want to try. Yeah. So our, our, our idea is we're going to have a brick and mortar spot right now. We're in, we met up with a couple of developers. One of them, a very good friend of mine, um, Patrick Dutton, his wife, Simone Boone is a sommelier. She's an OG sommelier, her and Janine, um, and L that's so, Janine over at, uh, Vino Janine, uh, yep. And then uh, L's now Janine Cachette over at, uh, Vino. Amazing. She's awesome. And, you know, Tim's awesome. Avino is a very underrated restaurant. Go there and eat. Absolutely. Um, so you kind of have like them as like the OG wave of sommeliers. Where was it going? So Patrick is a developer and pretty much sat down with us. We talked about our concept for about like three minutes, which our concept is small plates with three to four ounces of wine that will be ready for you in about five to eight minutes. So you're like, hey, I'll take the um, Panmanet and uh, Barbera <laughs> and... Uh, We'll have that up for you pretty quick because it's a sandwich. You just got to cut it. But the idea is that you can try wine and food together and just like we'll talk to you about it. So we want to have a small plate restaurant with very curated, intentional pairings, starting off super small, maybe like six items on a menu of six wines and six foods. You're probably not going to we're, we're not going to have it's not going to be traditional. It's not going to make you come there and you're like, where's your Pinot Noir? Where's your Cabernet? Where's this? It's whatever the hell I tasted. That Brian and I are like, this is cool. Yeah. This it's, is weird. You know, it's this what we're excited fun. about. We're excited about wine. Like, come here and drink these wines yeah. that you haven't had, that you're we're, not We're developing eating. these flavors. We're highlighting these flavors. We're highlighting these flavors with these wines. So, from there, we just want to build a portfolio of these flavor experiences for everybody so that we can just share what we're doing because yeah. we feel like we have so much to offer everybody. So, business plan right now. Patrick was like, you guys are great. Love you. Um business plan. Where is it at? And we're like, Oh yeah, we used to work on those. Mm -hmm. And we stopped because it's way more fun to pair wine and food. (laughs) (laughs) So we're back into the um, development stage. I've been talking to people and we're putting together our business plan. And then after that is financing. And then after that is finding a spot, 
Hopefully it happens sooner than later and everything will fall in. You got money and think we're cool. Talk to us. Love We'd it. love to uh, open a restaurant. You can own a wine bar with a couple of nerds that are going to give their <laughs> way too much time and dedication. <laughs> Our families are probably already mad at us for future us <laughs> for how little we're going to see them because we're going to be obsessed with this. Like I'm obsessed with hospitality. Yeah, and I think that comes through with, one, the passion of the descriptions. Obviously, the food that uh, that you're creating, uh, just, just with the stuff we tasted so far in the development process, things that are thought through with the wine thought through. Um, you know, when people go out to dinner and they're just going to a place and they're eating dinner, that's not – the best way of doing that is to have an experience. And not many restaurants or not many places offer a real experience with intentionality – like, this is the kind of place, if I picture, if you're going on a date and you want to have an experience with somebody, this is what you're doing. If you're going out, like, this is the kind of place I want to go with my wife, and you go and you have an experience tasting something that somebody really thought through and worked through, man, guys, I really hope this works out because this is a cool concept and something that's, you know, tightly thought through, and I think the execution's going to be great. So, one... Good on you for coming up with this. So hopefully we see more from Nebia soon. Uh, we're going to start to start doing some even like pre stuff on, on social media and things at some point. Um, so if you follow me on Instagram, um, bombsom, B O M M S O M M. Yes. I know bomb spelled wrong. It's a play on words. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a, and if you're uh, it's, it's a wine tasting page and Brian and I will post a bunch of things on there and whatnot. Um, that's where we're kind of doing all this. We do have ideas of doing some pop-ups. Can't really talk about them, but I will tell you this. If you want to know about the next hot thing that's about to happen, follow Grace and Disgrace on Instagram. Um, the way it was described to me, I'm not saying who's doing it. I'm not saying where it is, (laughs) but I am saying, imagine that you have a theater, right? And you have shows that come in from out of town. That would be like us coming in from out of town and everything. And then they have their regular set where they're like, hey, this is what we do on those other nights. It's going to be tight. It's going to be exclusive. You have to like sign up for their email and get a password to even sign up to go to a dinner. Um, I heard Chef Cruz said that the food was good. So if Cruz said it was true, <laughs> like, screw you. Cruz said it. So it's fucking canon now. Absolutely. So um, we plan on talking with them and trying to do something. There's... I, I work for Good Luck. I have a lot of connections with Chuck, Mike, and Dan. They're the sweetest people in the world, and all they want is success for anybody that works for them. Um, they were talking about all different options, and we can do things. And if you're out there and you want to do something, hit us up. Also, I, I plan on stealing Buddha Pub from Chris Crocky one night. That sounds about right. He doesn't know. I already tried well, a few weeks ago. Well, <laughs> the, we keep working on them. <laughs> so, so, guys, we may have more to talk about after we're off the air. Um, but uh, if you're interested in other uh, really fascinating things from passionate people in Rochester, um, make sure to go to Curate Meals to buy a meal uh, for one of our future events on Wednesday nights. We work with small minority-owned restaurants all over Rochester. And we try to bring amazing food to the people so you uh, can explore all of what Rochester has to offer, either delivered to you or picked up at the historic German house by our good friend, Mr. Grocky. So, gents, thanks so much for coming over. Uh, Where can they find you on? Are you on the social medias or are you an abstainer? (laughs) I stick pretty much just uh, Instagram, but you can find me at Chef Brian Arliss. Beautiful. 
Well, guys, thanks so much for coming over. Uh, we're going to close out this episode and we'll probably hang out for a bit more and we'll drop a second episode sometime yeah. in the near future. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Much.